You're listening to the Sojourn Church New Albany Sermon Series, Wise, Life as Gift, Not Gain. In this series from Ecclesiastes, we'll learn to see life as fundamentally a gift to receive and enjoy, not a hill to climb or a gain to achieve. This path of wisdom teaches us to live in the uncertainty and tensions of life under the sun. And now, hear the word of the Lord from Ecclesiastes 1, 1 through 1-18. These are the words of the teacher, King David's son, who ruled in Jerusalem. Everything is meaningless, says the teacher, completely meaningless. What do people get for all their hard work under the sun? Generations come and generations go, but the earth never changes. The sun rises and the sun sets, then hurries around to rise again. The wind blows south and then turns north. Around and around it goes, blowing in circles. Rivers run into the sea, but the sea is never full. Then the water returns again to the rivers and flows out again to the sea. Everything is wearisome beyond description. No matter how much we see, we are never satisfied. No matter how much we hear, we are not content. History merely repeats itself. It has all been done before. Nothing under the sun is truly new. Sometimes people say, here is something new, but actually it is old. Nothing is ever truly new. We don't remember what happened in the past and in future generations, no one will remember what we are doing now. I, the teacher, was king of Israel and I lived in Jerusalem. I devoted myself to search for understanding and to explore by wisdom everything being done under heaven. I soon discovered that God has dealt a tragic existence to the human race. I observed everything going on under the sun, and really, it is all meaningless, like chasing the wind. What is wrong cannot be made right. What is missing cannot be recovered. I said to myself, look, I am wiser than any of the kings who ruled in Jerusalem before me. I have greater wisdom and knowledge than any of them. So I set out to learn everything from wisdom to madness and folly, but I learned firsthand that pursuing all this is like chasing the wind. The greater my wisdom, the greater my grief. To increase knowledge only increases sorrow. This is the word of the Lord. Good morning, Sojourn. Peace be with you. My name's Stephen. I'm one of the pastors here. It's an honor to be with you guys this morning. Um, So it's been a hard year, hard year and a half, and we decide we're going to start off our new sermon series of Ecclesiastes with a book that says, Everything's Meaningless. Oh, man. All right. What were we thinking? However, it's it's actually a very pertinent book for us, uh, because here's the beautiful part about Ecclesiastes, is it teaches us to receive every part of life as a gift of God. It helps us find God's presence in the hard times. Because here's the thing that happens is we like to view life as kind of mountains and valleys. And we all want to be on the mountaintop because that's what feels good. It feels like that's where God is. And the only problem with that is, according to the Bible, most of life is a valley. In the Psalms, it says, even the best years are filled with pain and trouble. Soon they disappear and we fly away. So the question then is how do we experience God's presence? How do we enjoy life 
in the midst of the valley. And this is where Ecclesiastes is like a practical exposition of Psalm 23, where it says, even in the valley of the shadow of death, you are with me. And so Ecclesiastes is saying, we are in the shadow of the valley of death. How do we live? The only problem is, it's like we have kind of this gut reaction against that, is we don't really like pain. Uh, and so a lot of times we go into either denial or escapism. And Christians in particular like to go into this sort of escapism denial where we say, no, 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 it's okay, it's fine, it's hurting now, but it'll be, be okay at the end. Because we know what the answer is at the end of the book. Everything will be fine then. And Ecclesiastes is like that mean teacher you had in middle school or high school that says, nah, uh, uh you got to show your work. Because did you guys have like Miss A? I had Miss A. And she had, I had her for algebra in ninth grade, and I was homeschooled, and then I went to public school. And I didn't realize, and my buddy didn't realize, that if they give you the odd problems, the answers are in the back of the book. And so we got the odd problems for like the first day of homework, and we were like, bro, answers are in the back of the book. And so we do our homework, and we write the answers down in the back of the book, and we show up the next day, we kind of like waltz in, thinking we got this down, show it to Miss A, and she's like, you, don't, you didn't show your work. And we're like, yeah, but we got the answers. And she's like, no, 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 no. Just because you know where you're going doesn't mean you know how to get there. And that's what Ecclesiastes is saying. It's like, just because you know what the answer is at the end of the book doesn't mean you know how to get there. You can't just live in this denial and escapism and say everything's okay now when it's not. And so Ecclesiastes is doing the same thing to us. Just because you know where you're going doesn't mean you know how to get there. And if you live like that, so this is where you can see Christians who live like that, where they just pretend everything, like, we're at the end of the book already. Because when they come to funerals, they don't say, they don't mourn with you. They just like, it'll be okay. They're in a better place. And that's nice and it's kind, but it's pretending that the pain right now isn't real. Or you have these people that pretend that everything's going to be okay, and then it's not. You said this life with Jesus was supposed to be sweet and good, and it's not. And so what do they do? They try to go find the mountaintop somewhere else. They go try to find the mountaintop in affairs. They go try to find the mountaintop by throwing themselves into their work. And then all of a sudden, they become bitter ex-evangelicals, and we all wonder why. It's because they are trying to skip to the answer at the end of the book where we're at the beginning of the problem. And so the question then is, well, how do we show our work? What's step one? And this is where Ecclesiastes, it's lesson one. And here it is. It starts off, right? Name the bad news. We know the good news. We know what the good news is. We know the answer at the end of the problem, which means because we don't have to be scared of that. So we can name the bad news. We could just call it like it is. We can be honest. You don't have to pretend. You don't have to deny. You can just say, this is what is. And that's what we're going to do this morning because that's what we see the teacher doing. So in chapter one, we're going to go through all of chapter one this morning and we're going to see four big pieces of bad news. One, life is short and you're going to die. Two, you will never be satisfied. Three, you will be forgotten. And four, knowing more about it won't make it better. It's bad news all the way around. But let's get into it. Here we go. These are the words of the teacher, King David's son, who ruled in Jerusalem. Everything is meaningless, says the teacher, completely meaningless. Okay, so here we go. First off, let's just back up and notice this is a narrator. 
right? This isn't Solomon writing this. This is the teacher says this. So we have a narrator here. Okay, that's just pay attention to that because we're going to come back to it. So then the teacher is traditionally thought to be Solomon. We're not quite sure. It's not 100%, but traditionally that's what we think. And he comes out of the gates swinging, right? And he has this word. It's called habel, which is the word is meaningless here, right? And this word has given translators a host of issues because it's, it's an image. Habel is, means like smoke. Or if you breathe, if you're like, it's a cold morning, and you breathe out, and you've got it like the vapor there, and it disappears, that's habel. Or if you uh, light a candle and you blow it out, and the little vapor that disappears, that's habel. It's, it's this kind of breath into nothing. And it's an image. And so trying to translate an image into one word is kind of tough. And so as we go through the book of Ecclesiastes, we're going to spend 12 weeks here. When you hear the word meaningless, or maybe your translation says futility, or maybe your translation says vain. Just think of smoke. What it's trying to say is it's an image. It's like when Jesus, right? Jesus says the kingdom of heaven is like a mustard seed. He doesn't say the kingdom of heaven is tiny and gets big. He doesn't say the kingdom of heaven is green or it's like a tree. He just says it's a mustard seed. It's an image. And so that's what I want you to be paying attention to. Now, what does this image convey? Short, thin, gone really quickly. And that's what he's saying life is. It's short, it's thin, it doesn't amount to much, and it is gone fast. Like you, he's saying you're just going to die, and it's not going to last, like your life will not last long. And now, yes, he will caveat this. He will caveat this, and he'll come back and he'll say, well, everything is havel, everything is smoke, everything is meaningless under the sun. And so people will say, oh, so there's meaning else there. Like we have meaning with God. And yes, you're right, but the teacher, he doesn't, quite give you that yet, right? He just comes out swinging and says everything. He's like, get used to it, friends. It is hard, and it is havel. It is smoke. It is quick, and it doesn't last long. He's just, you are going to die. And he's trying to, like, lay that out really quickly, right? And so then he's like, all right, so if it's, if it's this image, right, if it's havel, what does that mean? Like, what's that going to really look like? And so then he gets into the particulars. And this is the first thing that he says is, you won't be satisfied. So get back into the text. We're in 1, 3 through 8. And here's what he says. What do people get for all their hard work under the sun? Generations come and generations go, but the earth never changes. The sun rises and the sun sets, then hurries around to rise again. The wind blows south and then turns north. Around and round it goes, blowing in circles. Rivers run into the sea, but the sea is never full. Then the waters return again to the rivers and flows out again to the seas. Everything is wearisome beyond description. No matter how much we see, we are never satisfied. No matter, no matter how much we hear, we are not content. He's saying you just can't be satisfied. You're like a river that just keeps flowing, right? There, you, no matter how much your eyes see, there's always more to see. There, just, there isn't enough to satisfy you. And even if you weren't a Christian, if you said, you know what, I forget all this mess. I'm just going to go out and try to like get as much enjoyment out of his life as I can. He's saying, you can't even do that, right? And so our secular world, they try to fix this problem, right? They try to say, you can be happy. And we can, we've got a pill. Do you know they have a pill right now that can actually make you for, forget events? It's true. They just make you forget something that even happened so you don't have to deal with the pain of it, right? We've got a pill for that. We've got a therapy for that. We, if you want to be happy, you can be happy. And here's the problem with that is there's this myth that they, they say that the natural state of humanity is happiness. And that's just simply not true. 
And part of the, the myth, right, is that uh, if you're not happy, you're defective. Or that if you want a better life, you have to get rid of all your negative feelings. And what we've done as Christians is we've taken those myths and we've thrown Bible verses on the top of them. And we say things like, no, this world can't satisfy you, but Jesus can. And yes, he can. This is where it's like you're getting to the answer at the end of the book. You're right. He can completely satisfy you, but you're still dealing with sin right now. Right? And so there's this idea, if you follow Jesus, no, maybe you won't be materially satisfied. Maybe you won't, you know, have the car or the boat that you want, but you'll be emotionally satisfied. You'll be at peace and you'll have this calm, tranquil life for your, like, for your entire existence. And that's just a lie. Right? Because if we are called to be like Jesus as he lived on the earth, we see he wasn't satisfied. He was not emotionally calm and peaceful the whole time. Right? So just look at his life, right? We have John 11.35. Jesus was moved and troubled at the death of his friend. In Matthew 9.36, Jesus looks at a crowd and he has an emotional response of pity where it's just this awful situation and he pities them. Right? In Matthew 12, he gets angry with the Pharisees and he calls them a brood of vipers. In Matthew 17, he grows frustrated with his disciples because they, don't, they have a lack of faith. In Luke 22:44, he sweats blood because of agony. The world is not as it should be and it didn't satisfy Jesus. He lived a life of emotional turbulence. You should expect the same. There is no way to just get to happy all the time. This is not a mountaintop experience. The Bible is saying we are mostly in a valley, friends. And I know some of you are out there It's like, yeah, 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 but, 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 we've got the Holy Spirit now, right? we got the Holy Spirit. And it's like, yes, you're right, we do. But the Holy Spirit is a down payment. That's what it says in Ephesians 1. It says, this is the what's to come. This is the thing that promised you. This is what it will be like, but you don't have the whole thing now. And in Galatians 5, right, this is what it says. For through the Spirit, we eagerly await by faith the righteousness for which we hope. If we had full righteousness right now, yeah, we'd be totally fine, but we don't have it yet. It's what we said in Romans 8 earlier, right? If, if, we didn't, if we already had the thing, we wouldn't have a need for hope. You hope for what you don't have. And so there's this idea of like, oh, well, we're going to be completely emotionally satisfied because of Jesus. No, you won't. It's not happening yet. And this is what the writer of Ecclesiastes is saying is no matter what happens, you will not be satisfied in this life, and you're not supposed to be because Jesus wasn't either. So, showing our work, putting it all out there, not skipping to the answer at the end of the book, right? Name the bad news. All right, what's the bad news? All right, first thing, you're going to die. Second thing, you won't be satisfied. Third thing, you will be forgotten. Here we go, Ecclesiastes 1, 9, and 10. History merely repeats itself. It has all been done before. Nothing under the sun is truly new. Sometimes people say, here is something new, but actually it is old. Nothing is ever truly new. We don't remember what happened in the past, and in future generations, no one will remember what we're doing now. So if you're trying to find satisfaction or something that will make you happy, some people are like, well, if I had a meaningful life, if I made a difference in the world, then I would have meaning, because I'd be remembered, and I would have to have an impact. And what this writer is saying is, doesn't matter, man, you're going to be forgotten. And you're like, I don't know if I'll be forgotten. I can, I can almost prove it to you, right? Can you name your grandparents? Right? So I got Fred and Penny, and then I got Jim and Myrna, right? But then can you name your 
great-grandparents, and it's like, well, I got Mama Stubbs. I don't really know what her name was. And I got Fred because he was Fred Jr. And then I got James because of James James. He just keeps going down the line. But I ain't got no idea what great, I have nothing. And then it's like, okay, well, name your great-great-grandparents. And I'm law. I got nobody. That's only five generations, like, that's only five people. That's only, like, and these are my flesh and blood, your flesh and blood. The people who, like, you have their DNA inside of you, and you don't even know their names. Much less what they did with their lives or the impact they had on the world. You don't even know who they are. You, if you can't remember them, like, who are you? You're going to be forgotten. And here's the other thing. This is the kind of, it's ironic but we don't know who wrote this book. It's one of the most famous, influential books in history, and we have no idea who put it together. We got some guesses. We think it's Solomon, but we don't really know if it was him or maybe some of his protégés who put it together, or maybe it was somebody later. We just don't know. One of the most famous books in the world. You will be forgotten. And again, there's this thing that just comes up in Christians, right? It's just like, ah, but my name is graven in his hands. Like, I will be, God knows my name, I will be remembered. And yes, you're right, but that is the answer at the end of the book. You're going to die and everybody around here is going to forget you. You will not be remembered. You are not going to have a meaningful life to impact the world. It's just a fact of life. And it's bad news. And so then you're like, well, geez, does it keep going? Yeah, it keeps going. So here we go. Right? Number one, you're going to die. Number two, you won't be satisfied. Number three, you're going to be forgotten. And number four, knowing more about it doesn't make it better. So here's what he says. I, the teacher, was king of Israel, and I lived in Jerusalem. I devoted myself to search for understanding and to explore by wisdom everything being done under heaven. I soon discovered that God has dealt a tragic existence to the human race. I observed everything going on under the sun, and really, it is all meaningless, like chasing the wind. What is wrong cannot be made right. What is missing cannot be recovered. I said to myself, look, I am wiser than any kings who ruled Jerusalem before me. I have greater wisdom and knowledge than any of them. So I set out to learn everything from wisdom to madness and folly, but I learned firsthand that pursuing all this is like chasing the wind. The greater my wisdom, the greater my grief. To increase knowledge only increases sorrow. So the teacher is doing what we're doing. Is he saying, hey, look, I, this, is, this is really depressing. Maybe if I learned more about it and just really discovered it and I, just, I knew more, I'd be happy. And he just goes at it. He just tries to get as much knowledge as he can. And he comes back and he's like, actually, it had the reverse effect. I actually found out more and it made me sadder. I realized how the world really is and it made me depressed. Now, here's the irony, and this is where it gets a little tricky, right? Is if life were truly meaningless and wisdom was of no value, why write the book? Right? So he is saying, all right, so we've got, there is some value here in wisdom. There is some meaning here in life. But we've got to figure out how, how do we find that? How do we receive that in the midst of all of this? And so here is... This is where it gets really tricky, and you see how brilliant God is with language. What this writer is saying is like it's all this striving, this striving for satisfaction, this striving to be remembered, this striving to know more. And he's saying that won't cut it. 
you trying to get it won't make you happy. But if you can open your hands and receive it, maybe, maybe just maybe, if you can receive life, you could be somewhat enjoyable. And so this is where it's fascinating. So, again, so that word for, for meaningless and kind of smoke and breath is habble, right? And it's this exhale. That's habble, right? It's the breath that you exert when you're striving, right? Now, here's the brilliant thing. What is the word for the breath that you take in, that you receive? That's, it's ruach. And it's this Hebrew word that means wind or breath or spirit. When God breathed into Adam and Eve, he put his spirit into them. They received his spirit. When his spirit shows up, it's, it's something that's received. It's not something that's strived. People don't get it by stretching for it. They get it by receiving it. And you think about what's today? It's Pentecost Sunday. What are we celebrating today? The fact that we received the spirit, right? And again, this is where it's just brilliant, right? The word for spirit in Greek is pneuma, right? Which is also wind or breath, right? And you think about the Holy Spirit shows up like a rushing wind and it lights there on their shoulders and we received it. And so there's this idea here where this, this striving breath, this breath that you are just, if I can just get my hands on it, it's like just putting your hands in sand and it goes away or trying to grasp smoke and it just disappears. And yet there's this ruach that you can have. There's this pneuma, this spirit that gives life. And the reason, this is why we can name the bad news is because we have received the spirit. We don't have to be scared of all the pain and sorrow of this life because we do know the gospel. We do know the good news. We can name the bad news because the good news has a name. The good news is Jesus. So our knee-jerk reaction to pain is get me out. And Jesus' knee-jerk reaction to the pain he saw was I'm going in. Right? He didn't abandon us to our meaningless, short, forgettable, miserable lives. He didn't just say, hey, it's going to be, they're not satisfied, they're going to be forgettable, knowing more won't make it better for them. And he didn't say, well, fine. He said, I'm coming to rescue you. And so he made a way so that everyone who believes in and follows him will have a meaningful, eternal, memorable, pleasurable life. So because Jesus is the good news, we can name the bad news. We will not be satisfied. We will be forgotten. <laughs> Knowing more won't make it better, and we're going to die. Our lives are a mere breath. Our lives are havel. But Jesus has given us his, his ruach, his pneuma. It's just a gift that we receive. So as we continue in Ecclesiastes, we will talk more about how do we practically do that? How do we, how do we put wheels on this, Right? How do we live in spite of we're in the valley? How do we live receiving all of life and living with God's presence? But step one, show your work. Just step one. Don't skip to the answer at the end of the book. Step one, name the bad news. Don't deny it. Don't escape it. Just name the bad news. Now, it's a really sad sermon. So we're going to cheat. We're going to go to the answer at the end of the book. And we're going to speak at it. We're just, gonna, just so we know where we're going, we're just going to peek at it just a little bit. This is the answer at the end of the book. Then the angel showed me the river of the water of life, bright as crystal, 
flowing from the throne of God and of the Lamb through the middle of the street of the city. Also on either side of the river, the tree of life with its 12 kinds of fruit, yielding its fruit each month. The leaves of the tree were for the healing of the nations. No longer will there be anything accursed, but the throne of the God and of the Lamb will be in it, and his servants will worship him. They will see his face and his name will be on their foreheads, and night will be no more. They will need no light of lamp or sun, for the Lord God will be their light, and they will reign forever and ever. That's literally the answer at the end of the book. That's where we're going. But because we know that that's the answer, we don't have to be afraid. We can name the bad news. And so we can name the bad news because good news has a name, and that's Jesus. And we celebrate his life, death, and resurrection every week with communion. On the night that the Lord Jesus was betrayed, he took bread, and when he had given thanks, he broke it. And he said, this is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. And in the same way, after the supper, he took the cup, saying, this, new, this is the cup of the new covenant in my blood. Do this whenever you drink it in remembrance of me. For whenever you eat this bread and drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. And so you have with you uh, a small cup. So I invite you now to tear off the little top portion and take out the wafer and to eat that and to remember that is the body of Christ that was broken for you. And after you've eaten the wafer, I invite you to open up the cup and that is grape juice. And as you drink that, to remember that that is the cup of the new covenant, Christ's blood. And he did that to secure the good news. Thank you for listening. Keep in touch with Sojourn New Albany on Facebook or download the free Sojourn Collective app for iPhone or Android where you can see our full library of sermon series audio and video, discussion questions, event calendar, ministries, and much more.